All right, good morning. Welcome to everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So just a quick update, because some people asked me this last week. They're like, uh, we've been in Revelations now for 13 or 14 weeks, and you know we've only made it past chapter 6. And maybe part of the problem is we spent way too much time in Matthew, but we're wrapping up the Olivet Discourse. That's what we've been talking about for the past three weeks. And again, I hope after today you'll see the importance of understanding what Jesus was trying to get done through the Olivet Discourse and how it ties into being able to give us the ability to make, move forward, right? So because Revelation 6 was a pretty pivotal part of Revelations because it was the idea that the beginning of the end was going to happen. And when he started to open up the seals that, you know, essentially we had to make a decision, right? And this was the, the, the thing that was present for all of us, which was he's saying this, Jesus is coming, and the big question for each one of us, are you ready, right? Now, the reason that that's so huge at this stage of the game of what we're talking about is because I want to make sure that we understand the, like, the severity or maybe the, the emphasis of what he was trying to get to. Because when he says this, when open up the seals, the beginning of the end, tribulation is coming, and you need to be ready, there is a realization that I think sometimes we look over, right? And I think we talk about it, like I think we discuss it, but I don't know that we really understand it. Here's the, the severity of the situation. This is what he would say. That if you looked around the room today in a church that's relatively full, here's the reality, that there are going to be people inside of this room today that will sing the same songs that we were just singing, but the reality of what we have to know of what scripture says, but there are people in this room that are gonna spend eternity in hell. Right? I mean, that's just what we'd have to go by. I mean, scripture's really clear. Like, this isn't a message to be, you know, doomsday. This is just what I think he was trying to make an emphasis of. He's trying to say, listen, it's not going to be a few people missing the boat. Right? It's not going to just be a few people that are going to be deceived. Many people are going to be there. So Jesus, essentially, through the Olivet Discourse, was saying, I want to make sure you don't miss this. Yeah, that you need to know the signs of the end of the age, and you need to know when the end is coming. But you need to know this, that for some of us who are older, we already know the end's coming. Right? Anybody that's older? Like, you do know. Like, you're getting closer to the end of it. Or people that have lost people, you know the end is coming. Like you've seen it happen right in front of you. Like one day everything was normal and the next day everything in your life changed, right? It just happens that way. So for each one of us, we understand this idea of judgment and the thing that's coming and understanding of all this and him saying like, we need to be ready in the sense of you don't know if you have enough time. The same concept with him coming back. But I think he wanted to gather the disciples together because think about what we just talked about over the past couple weeks. So remember in the Olivet Discourse, it was not preached to this huge group of people, but it was to a group of disciples, right? And he pulled these disciples together and he said, I have some, I have some stories for you. And then he gets to what we're going to talk about today. But if you think about the stories that he just told, like think about the story of the, the virgins, right? Like if you were sitting inside of this story and you were listening to Jesus talk, this is what Jesus was saying. Here are 10 people, five were ready and five weren't. Now, 
If you were a disciple and you were looking at that, wouldn't your question be, what did they do wrong? Like, think about it. Like, if you were sitting in this circle, because we identify right and wrong based upon sin, right? Like, they did this or they did that, and you were sitting there and you're like, they just didn't have lamp oil. And wouldn't you, like, in the part of your mind being like, wasn't that a little harsh? Like, wouldn't you think that's a little harsh? They just forgot the oil. Like, give them some time to go get some more oil, right? They, if you were a disciple, you would have been sitting there being like, oh, wow, I mean, a little harsh, okay, but what's the next story? Well, you know what the next story was, right? You get these slaves out there, and these slaves all have different talents, but one of them, like, he didn't do anything wrong, but Jesus essentially says, or the master says to him, because you didn't invest my money, you're spending eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, we just want to glaze over it and we're like, yeah, that sucker, he should have invested, send him to hell, right? But if you were sitting here as a disciple and you were trying to understand this, you would have been like, holy crap, right? You would have been like, this is harsh. Like these things are in the mind of most people don't seem like that bad of a thing. Like in the minds of most people, it doesn't seem like these were those people that you thought of, you know, maybe when I talked about going to hell, you thought of that person and be like, yeah, I know that person's gone, right? Because you would understand like that person for sure, but this person just didn't have oil and he just, you know, worried a little bit about investment. So he played it safe and did nothing. Those two people, when the final judgment happens, like this is what he's saying, when the final judgment happens, you're going to hell now. What we're going to talk about today and what I think and why I think this is so important that we understand just kind of the, the severity of all of this is because when Jesus was talking about this to disciples, now he's going to get to this place where he's going to say, okay, now the final judgment's going to happen and here's what, here's what you need to understand or here's what you need to think about. Knowing those two stories, you could look up and down your road today and you could look at the people around here or you could stand up and you know, look at the people in the back and here's what you're gonna realize. The final judgment happened today, whether you died or Jesus came back, there are going to be people that you love that are gonna spend eternity in hell. Like that's what he's trying to say. Like think about this for a second. I want you to understand this because Otherwise, this is what happens. I think it happens in church, and I think Jesus would understand that this happens in the life of people. Like, people will be like, wow, I mean, that was good. I need to be ready. Or, wow, last week, man, he's taught investment. Like, I need to invest, and I need to multiply myself. Like, you thought that in the message, hopefully. Anybody that was here? At least you thought it, right? But you know what the biggest problem of all that is? Lots of people think things and do nothing. Anybody, right? Like, man, I need to go out and invest. And then Monday happened and you got busy and there wasn't any time to invest and multiply. And you're like, oh crap, man, I barely made it through the week. But next week, you know what I'm gonna do next week? Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, but the thought is not the same thing, but then we just fall into it, right? We just, oh man, and then life just keeps going on and we get to this place where I'm gonna be ready. Like, I need to do something different. Like, I recognize that I'm not at the place I need to be. We say it with our mouth, but how much of our life changes? This is what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was bringing these disciples together and he's essentially saying, like, listen. Here's what you need to understand. So many people that you love and you know are going to be deceived. 
And so you need to understand when the final judgment happens, right, you're not going to get a second chance and neither are they. So we got to get this right. So when we're talking about this whole idea of being ready and this whole idea of getting things right, you need to understand that we have to tell the people that we love and we have to make sure that they're ready and we have to make sure that there isn't any doubt, right? So everything in our power would be is to figure out how to not have doubt in our mind of whether or not we are where we need to be. Now, here's the thing that I wanna talk about because I think it's important to understand. So going into the Olivet Discourse and even sometimes when we read scripture, one of the things that we struggle with is this idea, right? So. If you think about judgment, it's not talked about in church very much because nobody really wants to hear that God hates sin and nobody really wants to hear, well, you don't mind that God hates sin, but what you do, what you have trouble processing is how much he hates sin, right? So if you've ever seen the passion of Christ and Jesus being beaten, anybody? If you want to know how much he hates sin, because he could have just died on a cross, right? He could have just actually died of a heart attack, right? So why did he suffer? Why, did he, why was he nailed to a cross? Why was that? Because he hates sin, right? And that here's the idea. Here's what we know from the beginning. And I think this would be the huddle moment. He would say to disciples, here's what I want you to know. The penalty for sin is death. And clear back to the beginning, this is what he would say to his disciples. I set something up that I want you to understand. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they left the garden, it was the start of something that was going to continue on until Jesus came. And that was every time somebody or something or somebody sinned, something had to die. Blood had to be shed. Right? Like that was the course, right? If somebody sinned, blood had to be shed. And back then it was animals and through the Old Testament. But what you would see or what you would start to recognize is there's a penalty, right? There's a penalty for sin. Right? And that penalty, that judgment isn't something where God's just being like, ah, no big deal. Right? Like this is severe. Like the punishment for sin is death. Right? So here's the reality. So you might want to hear this, might not want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So inside of everybody sitting in this room, here's what we understand the law that God set up for each one of us, every person in this room, including me, including the people in the camera room, including the people that are watching online, the judgment's the same, right? We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room, if you were judged today, apart from Jesus Christ, will spend eternity in hell. I don't care how long you've been coming to church or how much you know about the Bible, or how many times that you've read the Bible, or how many times that you can recite scripture, apart from Jesus Christ, everybody in this room will spend eternity in a place called hell, isolated away from God, right? Now, here's the great thing, and I think this is what he's saying is to his disciples. But if you recognize that, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God and that the only way that we can enter into the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ and because of his death on the cross and his blood shed for each one of us, if you understand that, you can know today, you can sing that song with confidence. I am a son, I am a daughter, set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm gonna celebrate my identity in him through the blood of Jesus. Right? Like you can know that and you can understand that. But just so we get it, like there are going to be people 
that are going to sing that song and that are going to be people that are going to go down those roads, but they truly aren't sons and daughters of God. So how do we know that we are? Because we know the penalty is the same. If you're not, you don't get to plead. You don't get to go up there and be like, hey, but you know, I didn't really have the best upbringing or, you know, nobody really told me or, you know, I went to a church that, you know, told me the wrong thing or, you know, I had a friend and the friend told me this or, you know, I just believed. And so surely, God, you could forgive me now that I'm dead or now that you've come back. He didn't let him go get lamp oil. Right? You don't get a second chance. You don't get to do it all over again. So understanding, and like I said, back to the disciples, he would say, do you understand the severity of how important it is to be ready? And not only for you to be ready, do you understand how important it is to help other people know what ready means? Right? And so when we go into this whole Matthew 25 and we ended up with what we're going to talk about today in final judgment, that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to ask you this question, and this is what the question I'm going to hope you're going to answer at some point. I've been praying that you're going to answer it through the last three weeks. If you don't, I'm going to pray that you continue to try to figure this out. If you truly listen to what Scripture says, ten virgins, five ready, five not, three slaves, two ready, one not, you know, people inside of the world, many will be deceived. If you're really listening to this day, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you ready? Are you at a place where you know that you're ready? Because you know what the last two weeks were? Tests. That's what the last two weeks were. You can say that you're ready, but you know what the test is? This is what it looks like to be prepared. How are you doing? You know? You say that you're ready? Okay, well, here's, here's something that would know you're ready. Like, here's a test. We know that our identity is proven through the blood of Jesus Christ, but here's what we know. You know how you can like have a test to know if you're in the right or wrong? Are you investing and multiplying yourself? And you know what he said in both of those? If you're not doing those things, you know what he said? You're not ready. Anybody? Right? I mean, isn't that what he said? He didn't say, hey, you know what? I know you, you just forgot to go buy oil. You know, bummer. Go, well, you got a second chance. You know what he said to him? The door's closed and you can't get in. You know, who the, you know what he said to the slave who said, well, I just thought you were somebody that you weren't, so it's not like I embezzled the money. I just kept it. You know what he said to him? Away from me, you wicked and lazy servant, thrown into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like he tried to give the excuses of why he didn't do it, but Jesus didn't look at him like, you know what, I feel sorry for you. You know, I'm sorry you didn't get around to doing those things. You know, we understand, and that's why I wanted to make sure we get this. We understand from the beginning that our place in heaven is secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we also have to understand that the test of whether or not you've really made that decision and it wasn't false is the actions of your life, right? And so Matthew 25 is just going to be another test. Another thing to say, you want to know if you're ready or not? If you want to really open yourself up to this, because this is what I've been praying. If you want to know if you're ready or not, truly, the Holy Spirit will tell you. He'll tell you. Like, if you're really open to him telling you, like, nope, you ain't ready. You need to make a decision. He'll tell you. 
But if you're somewhere in the excuse-making process, anybody ever been down that road? Like the reason that you don't do, right? The reason I'm not, you know, the, it's coming. Like you go through this cycle of giving God all of these excuses. He's probably not going to get there. Like he's just going to be probably like, if you're that excuse guy, when you want to be real, come back to me when you want to stop giving excuses. Because everybody has one, right? Yeah. All right, so let's go to Matthew 25 and look at what it says. So Matthew 25, 31 through 46, and here's what we're looking for, remember? So we're looking for the test. So here's what he's going to say. We already know where identity's found, and he's going to reiterate that, but there's going to be a test that we're going to try to figure out if we fit on the right side of it. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So, right from the beginning, he identifies himself. Here's the, the, the Son of Man is coming, and he's the judge, right? So, just give you a perspective of like we're back in Revelations because that's what he's actually talking about. So this is the second coming of Christ, right? So Revelation, tribulation, it's going on. The second coming of Christ comes. And so just so we understand judgment, when you die, you are judged at that point. Bama seat of Christ, right? So when you die, Christians go to the Bama seat, non-Christians go to the great white throne. 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about Christians who go to the, great, the Bama seat. At the Bama seat, Christians are judged, right? So if you die before Jesus comes back, your judgment happens, right? Like that's the way that it works. And again, we could get into a long discussion of how that works, but then non-Christian people judged at the great white throne, both based upon where they'll spend eternity, based upon their identity, sons and daughters of God or not, right? Like that's the whole judgment piece. But if you're still alive during that time, this is what Jesus is talking about. The judge will come, gather all living people together, and he's going to separate people, sheep from the goats, right? And he's going to separate those people, and he's going to judge the people that are still alive. Now, here's what's important about it. Just because he's talking about a future judgment doesn't mean that how he's judging these people doesn't apply to us today. Does that make sense? Right, so what he's going to give you is this picture of, future judgment that's going to happen. But what you have to realize is that he's giving you this picture because this is the way judgment works, right? And this is what he wants each one of us to learn. So he's gathered all those people together. Now here's how the judgment goes. It says, that the king, it says then the, uh, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, on first look at that scripture, 
Doesn't it sound like that what's going to get you in heaven is based upon the things that you do? Because it says, I'm going to separate them. And the people that are going to go, the reason that you're separated and that you're going to spend eternity with me is because you did what? I was sick and you took care of me. I needed food and you fed me. I needed clothes. You clothed me, right? Like he goes down through this list that would say, because you did these things, right? It means that welcome, or you did a good job. But here's the thing that I want you to see beforehand, right? And this is all going to make sense if you go back up to the first part of the scripture. So if you go back up to the beginning, right? If you have your Bible, whether it's up there, if you go back up to the beginning, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your what? Inheritance. Before he ever gets to the point of because you did these things, he points out that the reason that you are entering into this is because you are a child who deserves an inheritance, right? And the way that we become children of God, we already established in the beginning, is through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And once you are a child of God, just like any of us, right? That inheritance doesn't go away. Once you're a child, you're a child. Right? That's the way that he's trying to get people to understand. And then he goes on before he even gets there, you know, and he talks about, well, take your inheritance, then, and then you do all of these things. Then he says in verse 37, then the righteous, how do we become righteous? How do we get in right standing with God? Because you have to be perfect, right? To stand in front of God, you have to be perfect. How are you made perfect? Through the blood of Jesus. The only way to be in right standing. Do you see how he shows their identity? So he's take your inheritance. The people that are truly people of God, you know what they'll do? You know what the characteristics of the people of God will do? They'll go out and they'll take care of people. And then the righteous, right? Because they're in right standing, again, can enter into the kingdom of heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? So what he does is he first helps us understand identity is determined by the blood of Jesus. But... The characteristics of people who are believers, you know what they'll do? If they see somebody who's sick, you know what they'll do? They'll take care of them. You know somebody that needs money, you'll give them money. You, need, you know somebody who needs food, you're going to give them food, right? The idea is this, so without making this sound weird, is, is that the actions of our life are the fruit, right? But they're not the root. Does that sound weird? No, I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. The root, right, of the tree is because of our identity in Jesus Christ. But if you are rooted, right, if you have the identity of Jesus, the fruit of your life will be, that's what he says. Here's the test. You want to know if you're really rooted? You want to know if you're in the right place? Because I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, because, right, he just went down through the list. So he gives you a list to say, do you want to know if you're truly rooted? Here's going to be your fruit. Okay, so he gives us that picture. Now, I want us to see that in this way, and I want you to see that in all of this, that the characteristics of God's children are always taking care of people. So this is going to be a verse that you can go back to and a verse that you can look at later on. So this is going to be in 1 John 3, and it's going to be 17 through 18. So this is what I want you to hear. The idea of the character of the children of God is throughout all of Scripture. It's not just in Matthew, and it's not just in Revelations. 1 John 3, 17 says, If anyone has material possessions which is who? All of you, right? Anybody sitting in this room, it doesn't matter how old you are, everybody in this room 
has material possessions, true? Right? So he's given us this picture. John's giving us this picture. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Okay, so here's what he says. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Now, <laughs> that sounds good, right? So when you read this, you're like, if anyone has material possessions, you need to have pity on these people. If the love of God's in, in you, then you're going to have pity on them. But you know what he points out is a real reality of life. You know what a real reality of life? It's 1 John 3, 17 through 18. Anybody who wants to go back to it. So here's the reality of life. Here's what Jesus knew about human nature. Lots of people are going to say things with their mouth and do very little with their life. Lots of people are going to be like, man, you're right. If, I, I, I need, if, if somebody needs help, I'm going to help them. But you know why I know this is true? Because I've been in ministry for a long time and I've seen this happen a lot. People will kind of lay their heart out to people and be like, this is where I'm going. This is the things I'm doing. You know, this is what's happening in your life. And you know what a lot of Christian responses are? You know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to pray for you. Now, don't get me wrong. You should pray for him. But you know what, pray, when you say that, you know what part of the problem is? That's an excuse to do nothing. Anybody, right? See, the people are saying yes are the people that have done it before, right? I'm with you. I said yes to. I'm that person. I have been, like when somebody throws out the mess of their life, and I'm looking at it like, dude, I'll pray for you. Because you know what? I hope that's none of you in here that I said, you're going to be like, never listening to him again. But no, isn't it true? Isn't this really true life? Because here's what we know. Once you enter into that, it's a journey. And you know what it takes is a lot of your time. But you know what's going to happen with so many people? They're going to be look at people and they can say they have pity on them, but they're not going to do what it takes to actually get on a journey with them and give up. Human nature would rather stay in our lane and do our own thing. Human nature would really say like, I really want to do, but, but I can't and I can't. And I'm like, you know, this is such a problem in our society today. Because if you look at even just what it says here, right? Like, um, if anyone has material presence to sees a brother or sister in need, you know, and has pity on them, isn't there not the love of God in that person? Children, dear children, let us not love with our words. Listen, you know why this is such an epidemic? Like, look in your own marriage. Take a look in your own marriage. How many times you've been like, love you, and it don't mean crap? <laughs> right? <laughs> Your wife's not sitting beside you, so you can say that. Everybody else that's wife sitting beside, they're like, mm-mm. But isn't it true? Like, you can say I love you all you want. But if the actions of your life does not match it, they're over there saying bull crap too. Because they just are. Because it's easy to be like, man, I love you. But then when they're like, but I need you. I need you. Like I need you present. I need you a part of. I need you to walk. We're like, I ain't got time to do that. I got to be. Right? I got busy. I have life. I got... So think about this. If you can't do it with the person that you said you're going to be committed to the rest of your life for, are you really going to do it with other people? Because there ain't no way. Well, I always say these things. 
People tell me, don't be so absolute. Okay, you might be the exception to the rule. But if you can't figure out how to be intentional with the people in your home, how are you going to be intentional with everybody else? Like you might just be down that road of what everybody, like just what Jesus was talking about. You want to know if you're going to be deceived. Lots of people are going to be like, oh yeah, I love people and I I want to invest and I want to multiply and I want to do it. You know what I mean? With our words, Christian people are really good about saying things and never really doing them. Now, and again, this is going to be another broad statement. But one of the things that Jesus is trying to get at when he talks about, like, the character of a Christian person is that they'll love other people, not with their words, but with the actions of their life. Like, that's what he's saying. That's the characteristic. If you're, if you're a Christian, the character that will come out of you is you're going to be loving to other people, right? You know what's sad about the state of the Christian church today? And I'm going to say it just from experience. I'm not going to make it general because it's probably none of you in this room. But you know what happens sometimes in the church? Some of the most meanest, backstabbing, crappy people that I've ever met in my life. You know where I met them? In the church. Proclaiming Jesus. And I'm like, wait a second. The character of a Christian person is not pushing somebody down but lifting them up. Right? That's the character. The character of a Christian person wouldn't be looking at people and being like, because I've had these people in my life, because I've had lots of failures being like, you, you know you. <laughs> right? Like, pushing me down instead of being like, hey, join the club. Let's get on the same boat and lift each other up because we both suck and let's keep getting better together. Right? Too many times Christians are like, I know you and what you did. And, until you get your life right and, you know, they want to push you down and not lift you up. The character of a Christian person is whatever made you sick, I need to take care of you. I don't care what made you sick. Whatever made you hungry, I don't care what made you hungry. I'm giving you food. I don't care why you're in jail or what put you in jail. The character of a Christian person says, I'm coming to visit you. Now tell me that's the world we live in today. Come on. We want to say we live in that world, but let's be real. We don't live in that world. Something has to change. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. Like, you want to know if you're ready. Get real honest with yourself. We're living in a world, this is tough. We're living in a world where we're struggling to get it done with the people that we say that we love. Let alone with the people that we don't even know. Right? Like we need to think through what these things are. But he says, you know what's so cool about this? <laughs> so he says, you want the test? You know, the test isn't this monumental step of faith. He's not saying, you want the test? Let's see if you'll sell everything. You know what the test, he says, is just be kind to other people. It's not monumental. Do what you say. If you love people, then love them with the actions of your life. It wasn't this huge monumental tax of faith. He was saying, here's all, you want to know if the test Take care of people, love other people, lift them up instead of push them down. Isn't that cool? Right? Like we don't have to sit there and think like, oh my gosh, I'll never know because he might ask me to sell everything. Right? Like he's not even at that. He's like, if you want to know the test, just know if somebody came up and needed some water, if somebody needed some, would you take care of them? Would you have pity on them? Or would you give them an excuse? Would you tell them why they were there and give them an excuse of why you can't take care of them? Right? Those are the things that we need to think out. Because he goes in next... Verse 41, this is what he says. 
Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, why? Because they were what? Is it up there? Yeah, you can say, because they were cursed. Remember in the beginning, the other people went because they were children of God, inheritance. These people are going this way because they were cursed, not children of God. Does that make sense? Before we ever get to the actions. This was something they established from the beginning. Because they were children of God, character and actions of their life would do this. These are not children of God, character and actions of a person who's not a child of God. He says, depart from me, you are cursed until the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer. Isn't this funny? How did they answer? Lord. Isn't that crazy? These are people who are not children of God but identify themselves as children of God because they called him Lord. Right? Like, that's what he's trying to give you this picture of. These people, by the words of their mouth, would say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but the actions of their life would prove otherwise. Right? That's what he's saying, because he calls them Lord. They also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Same concept, right? People who are children of God, that's what he says, the righteous will enter into eternal life, right? The people that are not children of God are going to enter into eternal damnation. The character of those people, their identity, the character of who they are was exhibited through the actions of their life. That's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to get for each one of us to understand if your character is right, if your identity is true, the actions of your life will be supported by the things that you do, right? And that's what he was saying in the virgins. That's what he's saying with the master. And here's, that's what he's saying right now in understanding whether you're ready or not. Now, the worship team's gonna come back up and I'm gonna give you some thoughts Right, so here's some things that I want you to think about or some things that I want you to process. Lostness, so if you look across the board at the people that we studied for the last three weeks, right, and you just think about it in your own life, in your own life, lostness. So when we look at that, we tend to look at it by the reason a person is lost because they've committed grave sins, right? Isn't that what we normally do? Any, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what we do, right? We're like, this person is lost because they, and you would fill in the blank, and it would be like the sins that you think are really bad because some people pick different ones, but they're like, you're lost because, and I'll go down through this list, this, 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 and this. Do you realize that inside of this, lostness was not, great, was not set by any great moral failure? Do you see that? Like for the last three weeks, lostness was not determined by moral failure. Lostness was determined, again, by what we see in each one of these people. Lostness was determined essentially because their character, their identity, their decision-making of who's going to be their savior was not set, and you could see it through the actions of their life, right? As an example, lostness because their character is wrong was seen in the, the people that we studied today because they didn't have acts of kindness, 
not because they were moral failures. Right now, isn't that interesting? Like it wasn't a moral fit. Like we determine lostness by because of the sin of a person's life. Think about it in the virgins, right? You go back with the virgins. That those people in that parable, they just didn't have oil. They're spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell because they didn't have their oil. They weren't ready. Think about this. You know the slave, three slaves, two invested and one didn't? You know, he didn't embezzle the money of the master because that would be a sin worthy of. Took somebody's money and you embezzled it. We look at that as a sin. You know what he was cast into eternal darkness for? Wasting his life. Eternal darkness because he chose to do nothing. He chose to play it safe and he gave the excuse, you know, Hey, you know why I didn't do it? Because I thought you were a hard master where you did all these things. So I just played it safe. I kept the bag of gold. Here it is. And you know, in that, Jesus didn't be like, well, you know, do better next time. He's like, no, because you wasted your life and you wasted the talent and you did nothing. You're going to spend eternity where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? Like that's what he says to him inside of that. He knows that, that the people that aren't ready aren't ready. So the question for all of us is this, are you ready? Because I want you to think about something and I want you to understand something. Because too many times when we're in rooms like this, you know, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone guy. Like I'm not being like, you should make a decision for Jesus Christ because you might go somewhere where it's really terrible. Like, I don't say that, but I want you to understand something about hell. And I just felt it led this last night when I was changing some things around for the message. I feel like this is a message that God wants you to hear today. Hell is not a place where you're gonna go and be with your friends. Hell is not a place where you're gonna go, you might not be in the good part, but you're gonna be with other people and you're gonna be hanging out. You know what the worst part of hell is? That you will be in complete isolation, not isolated from just a few people, but isolated by yourself for eternity, eternity. No friends, no one to talk to, and a pain that never goes away. Knowing on the outside of that room is the answer to your pain, but you could never get it. For all of eternity, and based upon what scripture says, there are going to be people in this room that aren't ready, that are choosing a Christless eternity, that are gonna spend it forever in their life, eternally in that place. Why? Because you're not ready. And I never do this. Like I said this in the first service, you know, I didn't really know because last night I felt like this is just something God's laying on my heart. Like we never really have altar calls here. You know, we never really like, hey, every week come to the altar if you wanna give your life to Christ. But for whatever reason, I want you to know today that like, if that's where you're at during this last song, I don't want you to wait another day. I don't want you to be like, wow, I mean, it's something that I'm just really processing because for whatever reason, I just feel like God's saying, you don't have time, don't wait. Don't waste another moment. And so during this last song, if you wanna come up and, and 
And because and, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to come up to signify that you want to be saved, but we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. You know, so if you want to come up and you want to make that decision, we'd love to pray over you. Or if you want to make that decision in your seat, that's okay. But here's the decision you're making. We're all sin, sinners falling short of the glory of God. And what I need is you, Jesus, to pay for my sin. That's what we need. That's what today is about. That's what this judgment is about. Judgment is coming. Being ready means getting to this place. I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God. And we're gonna celebrate in two ways. See, if, you've, if you're here today and you've done that, you're celebrating. If you recognize that you're a sinner falling short of the glory of God, in this last song, you are celebrating because the grace of Jesus Christ has saved you and the celebration in heaven happened with you and the celebration in heaven is gonna happen today for those who make that same decision because it says for the one person who will make a decision for Jesus Christ today, the heavens will celebrate and we will celebrate with them. All right, we will. And I want you to know that in that decision, that's what he's saying. Just open your heart and open your mind. Don't give him an excuse. Don't wait another day because you don't know if you have another day. So during this last song, if you want to come to the front, if you want to do it in your seat, whatever you want to do, if you come to the front, we'll have people to come up and pray with you. Um, if you do it in your seat, we'd love for you to just, again, uh, share that with somebody that can help hold you accountable, whether it's the person in your row or somebody on staff. So we want to stand and I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you, first of all. And together, Lord, we understand that um, the end is near. Whether it's the end of our life, you have said that our life is like a breath, like a vapor. So we know the end is near, whether it's you coming back. The reality is this, Lord. We want to be ready. We want to know that we're ready. We want to be able to celebrate today. We want to be able to not just sing today in celebration, but we want to be able to celebrate for the rest of our life because our identity is found in you. And that the character of our life, the fruit of that will be loving other people, investing in other people, being ready for your return. Lord, I pray today for those who have made that decision, that today is a reminder of a great celebration for a day that you made a decision that the penalty of sin is taken by you, Jesus. I pray for those today who are going to make that decision that they would understand the freedom that comes to just giving it all over to you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.
You know, one of the things that um, I just feel like God's laid on the heart of this church and the people that I've been spending time with is, is that we are, maybe more than ever, living in a world where they're dying to know who Jesus is. I think God is doing something in this world, opening up the hearts of people like we've never seen before, preparing for revival. And what's so awesome about that is, is that he says, for revival to happen just means this, it's simple. Be more like Jesus. That's what we need to do. Just be more like him. Live a life like Jesus. And what you can be a part of and what we can be a part of is a revival in the hearts of a dying world. Right? And I never want us to walk away without understanding the severity of what Jesus is trying to get for each one of us. Not only get ready, help other people get ready and be a part of that and be a church like that. So again, we'll be back in Revelations. We'll start back in Revelations next week. So thanks everybody for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online and we'll see you guys next week.